for April 23rd, 2012. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 199, The Art of War. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, I'm your host, Matthew Rather, here with the East Coast panel of uh, Fenzel and Lee. Fenzel and Lee, your yeah. question. Yes. Um, your question this week is if you are min-maxing uh, your own self as a player character, <laughs> you are both the player and the player character of yourself. What traits, what pair of traits uh, will you min-max? Have I got that right, Pete? Have I got my uh, definition of min-maxing right? Uh, yeah, I can, I can elucidate a little bit more when, if you would formally introduce me so that I may begin my answering of the question. First, in the answering of the question <laughs> and elucidating what the hell the question means, because that was just a random series of sounds that I made based on other sounds that the other podcasters made before we started recording. It's Peter Fenzel. Hey, what up, what up, what up? Sorry, <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Uh, so min-maxing is the practice of adjusting the statistics that your role-playing game character has to create an optimal ability to do certain things, right? To uh, Usually to defeat things in bloody battle. And the idea, of course, is that in, in many game systems, this kind of misses the point, uh, which is that you're supposed to be having fun by playing the character, right? So uh, the most famous example, like the most common, an example from you know the wheelhouse of my tabletop RPG experience, which is uh, you know second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, would be not really caring about your charisma score, right? Because there's very little that most characters can use their charisma score for when they're knifing people. Right, like when you're shooting an arrow or you're hitting somebody with a club, your charisma doesn't work uh, all that much. Sure. So I mean, there are times when de- your does- strength and dexterity are much more important. Exactly. Okay. So if you if you read the book and the descriptions of what people with charisma of like three or four are like, they're like horribly socially like deep in the autism spectrum, like can't form coherent sentences, like repulsive, you know, like I mean, they wouldn't say autism spectrum because back then that wasn't really a thing. Um, they uh, <laughs> and they would not have said Asperger's because that wasn't a thing either. But the point is that, you you're like, oh, if you bother to put your points that low, you'll be just this abhorrent, terrible character. And if you don't participate in playing the character and you just participate in whacking the things with your sword, it doesn't matter, right? So the idea of you do min-maxing is you maximize the places where you get the most value. And this system was, was twisted in that version because um, the strength score could go, like, way up, right? You had, like, the 18 max strength, and then you had exceptional strength out of 100 and that, that if you invested so much in that statistic, it would kind of throw off your, a lot of the different kinds of characters that you could have. And there was really very little reason not to try to do that. If Pete, you could. How, yep. I mean, in tabletop role-playing games, I, I seem to recall from my second edition AD&D games, uh, I, I mean, the few, the few that I played, because I never got that deep into it before all my friends started playing Vampire the Masquerade. And, and yeah. you know, role-playing just became this... this thing that i was not comfortable with because i wanted to roll my dice um you rolled dice in those two but anyway go on oh sure (laughs) i yeah they they, like like my high school friends got into larping you know oh (laughs) it just it it crossed the line no it's one it's wonderful but it crossed the line that i myself was not uh i don't think i had enough self-confidence at at that point to larp with sort of impunity you know um, but uh, well, it's a, form of, it's a form of camp, I think, and there's a lot about identity that's involved in it. And like, I think that the the impulses that lead a person to LARP are very similar to the impulses that lead people towards like burlesque or towards like Rocky Horror or like, and not so specifically, but like they're they're comparable. That's just a frame of reference that I think is is more readily understandable by people. Sure, and, uh, and, and, it, and that's so, the thing. Yeah. Like, I I would go to Rocky Horror actually a lot as a teenager, uh, you know, and dress funny and you know do weird weird stuff and 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 this kind of thing but but you see we were all confined within a theater like and the theater kept all us crazies in but it also kept the squares out you know what i mean and so right. so right. uh it it was a barrier that provided 
protection, I think, in two directions. And uh, <laughs> my LARPing, um, my my LARPing cohort. Uh, who who sort of surpassed me would do things like go to the outdoor mall and like you know LARP among the civilians and I you know and and like you know stand up on on public sculpture and uh, you know say whatever you say in Vampire the Masquerade and so uh, that that I was that I was not into. She's but like, within- I am from the Sabbat and we have come here to destroy the uh, oh god not the Car- I always confuse the other one with the Car- Carabinieri which are the Italian like special. <laughs> Police, but it's it's something different. The ones who pull the masquerade. There's like two giant factions, right? There's the. Um, I'm not even going to Wikipedia. It. Let's just continue. But we, but, but, we, but we digress. Weren't you supposed to roll 3d6 in um, in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition to uh, to determine your scores? Like that is to say, what what was the mechanism for uh, maximizing traits at the expense of other traits? Other than other than a cheating in how those numbers right. are generated and B not really playing the game. I mean, playing a sort of subset of the game, the way it, it was defined by, as you say, not really playing your character and just sort of whacking things. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of ways, right? And some of them were formalized and some of them weren't formalized. You could just roll this D six in order, right? And you could just put the numbers in the statistics and the statistics were uh, strength, uh, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, uh, constitution, and charisma. Um, you could also roll the d6 six times and you could pick which one went in which. And again, like having a high dexterity or strength score if you wanted to play like a fighter or a thief, uh, having a high intelligence score if you wanted to be a wizard, ha- uh, having a high wisdom score if you wanted to be a cleric. These things were so important that like having some sort of flexibility was, was at least popular with my group. Or you could also use a point system, right, where you invest points uh, in a certain way and like you get X number of in your point pool and you can put them the way that you want, which leads to a lot of Faulknerian man children running around, right, <laughs> who have like incredible strength <laughs> and just like I have decent hearts, but just they are not capable of functioning in modern society. <laughs> because the little kobolds, pet the pretty little kobolds, oh, they're first so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, so that's kind of that's how like that would work, right? And then the idea is that you would minimize the statistics where you feel like the downsides would have the least negative effect on what you were trying to do, and you'd maximize the statistics on the ones that would have the greatest effect on it. Sure. Okay, so I guess so, so when you're uh, so I I have to clarify the question then, like when you're min maxing, you're min maxing with an eye toward a, a particular. Uh, a, a particular task that you want to perform. So I guess I guess our question should be, uh, what you know, what are you min maxing, and what and what um, uh, what task is it for? Yeah, I mean, it's also possible to min max in like many many different ways with a character, right? Like you know, you get one piece of armor and you you use a different piece of armor that has like a slightly higher modifier, even though there's like no way that your character would pick that armor based on who they are, right? Like you get like a feathered enchanted armor of Quetzalcoatl, which of course you wouldn't have in there because you know Mexico isn't in Fantasyland, but it's in reality. Um, but like you could have that, and you have a character who's like har- horribly xenophobic, right? And like wears studded leather, and you'd be like, I get a higher bonus from this one. I'll just like swip that. And if I switch gauntlets, then and I could sell this, and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so uh, so what I would do? I mean, here's the thing. I I I've enjoyed going out in the outdoors. Like I enjoy the outdoors just fine. Um, enjoy going hiking or camping, uh, but I'm mostly a city guy. Like, I enjoy living in cities. I like living on the subway. I like living in public transportation, which means that if I'm min-maxing, I should probably min-max towards uh, an eye for city living, uh-huh. right? And uh, and so I'm thinking one of the things I might want to minimize would be uh, water um, need, like 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 the skill of water retention and hydration. <laughs> like, the, like, like how many? How often does your character have to drink? Like how often do you have to have a glass of water to not die of thirst? And I could be like, well, I have access to water pretty much all the time right <laughs> you know like and it's like even though the rule book would say like well your character here is like horribly socially awkward because they have to bring a pitcher of water into any meeting that they go into i could be like well if i could reinvest those points in like being a bit taller <laughs> you know, like, like being more charismatic you know be having a better attention span right or just like you know farting less <laughs> any of those things would probably be worth it <laughs> um, although farting less i'd probably be willing to minimize that too um so 
so yeah, so I would probably, I mean, this is a shame because I haven't, I did go mountain hiking recently, like mountain climbing in New, in New Hampshire, which doesn't really, they're not really huge mountains, so it doesn't really count that much. To do that recently, and it was useful there to be able to retain some water, but I also brought it to a bunch of water with me. So um, sure. I would say that I, I would like, I would, I would cut the cord there and I would just like depend upon the municipal water system. Uh-huh. And in, in compensation for that, I would, um, I would totally raise my ability to function without sleep score. Like too infinite, so that I like, <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> I could be like fresh and breaded and bushy tailed like every freaking day, despite the fact that I tend to sleep like four or five hours a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, really, very much improved me. I, I'd be like I'd be like some sort of warlord or something. It would be great. I get a I get a I get to ninth level. I get some followers and I would build a, a a stronghold and be solid. Definitely, excellent, <laughs> Pete. Pete, I would jo- I would join your party. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. That, thank you very that, much. That works both in the RPG and the uh, city living sense. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. That's true. Uh, and I think we have joined parties on numerous occasions. There are pictures of us air guitaring together. <laughs> that exists. In fact, it's like, in fact, it's like joining. It's like joining battle. It's the you know what I mean. It's the city version of AD and D, right? Instead of joining the battle, you join the party. I mean, a fun fact: my overthinking it gravatar is from a picture of me playing air guitar with Mark Lee at uh, Jordan and Tomomi's wedding. But with uh, a uh, but with a um, a hat from Naruto photoshopped onto yeah. it, right? Oh, uh, like of course. <laughs> what do you mean, Matt? Matt, Matt you put, quickly introduce me, Matt. He's quick, Mark Lee. Quickly introduce me because I got a great segue. Speaking of air guitar, <laughs> speaking of air guitar. Um, so that leads to the, the trait that I would try, the, the goal that I would try to mid-max for, which is not playing air guitar, but playing actual guitar. Um, mm. you know, sort of at, at an Eddie Van Halen, Jimi Hendrix-esque level. So uh, I feel like I would uh, what maximize on things like dexterity and charisma and min on pretty much everything else. Right, including the things about like uh, you know teamwork and socializing, um, you know, because I'll just be sort of the, the the outcast member of the band who doesn't really play along well with others, but everybody has to put up with because when I get up on the stage, I do ripping solos. So that's one answer. But I actually want to uh, take the min maxing concept and apply it to a different uh, context that's not RPGs. It's another type of gaming experience, which is um, I think everybody's favorite World Conquest video game, Civilization. Very particularly, very particularly, I'm talking about the iPhone version of Civilization, Civilization Revolution, which, uh, by the way, when you're speaking of min-maxing things, and when you have Civilization Revolution, you're maxing on playing Civilization Revolution and minning on everything else. Including yeah, I was like, you can work, play Civilization sleep. on your phone? Oh, wow. Seriously, like, you can. You, there's nothing that you can traffic. do, but you should do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So my, my version of min-maxing when playing Civilization Revolution is maxing on everything that leads me to building tanks. Which, um, when you get tanks, um, that puts you at such a military advantage over your opponents that you can pretty much run the map fairly reliably. Um, And minning on every other technology which doesn't help you build the tanks, including my favorite, which is printing press. (laughs) Somehow (laughs) allows you to advance very highly in in military technology, including flight and I think even automobiles. And you can still have printing presses of technology waiting for you to be discovered. Which I love this concept of this very high-tech, modern, you know, uh, army of tanks that are just rolling across and and, and conquering the entire world. And there are not things like printed uh, orders for the troops or, for that matter, a (laughs) manual for how to operate the tank. It's just you know, told in elaborate uh, storytelling techniques handed down from generation to generation. Yeah, the, of tank. the oral, the oral history of tank commanding. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what this is. You know what you just described is a, a Warhammer 40k, right? Which is where you have like like monk orders of monks that have like illuminated manuscripts that like lead divisions of space marines, right? <laughs> that have like bolt gun, bolt machine guns and swords, right? And uh, <laughs> this sounds like a game I would enjoy playing. It's, this week, I spent a lot of time on Wikia for some reason reading Warhammer 40k lore, which is fascinating and very metal and very strange. Uh, the game is terribly complicated and expensive. I don't think I would necessarily look to get into it, but the lore involved is just intense, super intense. Did you say you it was very questions? metal, like M-E-T-A-L, as in like Iron Maiden? And uh... oh, yeah. oh, totally. Oh, totally. It's sure. extremely metal. Like everybody has skulls on them all over the place. Everything is incredibly baroque. Like just, just very, very quick aside 
like the sort of central fact of Warhammer 40k lore is that like all the psychic energy of all the sentient beings in the earth has cr- has created kind of like a parallel Cartesian dimension like to to the physical world called the warp which is basically like a twisted chaotic nightmare uh, and spaceships have to travel through this warp to travel faster than light right but there's all these demons that live in it and the emperor of mankind uh, who died in a revolt 10,000 years ago his still beating like his like still barely alive like corpse is sustained on like a golden throne on earth where he sacrificed thousands of lives a day so that his will can continue to like keep the warp at bay and keep the demons from overrunning the earth and overrunning the entire galaxy and the universe and then like the hordes of his imperium like sweep across the sky uh you know with fighting the demons within themselves and you could practically hear like the and then all the yeah exactly the chaos lords that are possessing their minds and the dark demons with their you see it already sounds like a yeah, metal lyrics. that would be a great project to just take the the text off of the uh, warhammer 40k wikia and and set them to uh to, to, to iron maiden tracks i mean i'm sure people do it already but i mean you, you, could, you could it would be fun to do it in like a bunch of different genres right you could do like some that's like death metal some that's like speed metal some that's like folk rock some that's like sort of more of a post-punk like kind of electro kind of thing uh no it would be good stuff you, you talk all about the tyranids and the eldar it'd be it'd be solid <laughs> tyranids and eldar <laughs> <laughs> I um all right well I guess it's it's my turn to go. I uh you know m- uh, frequent listeners of this podcast know that I recently graduated with an MFA uh in acting. Acting Durka Durka. And I um uh wish to use my powers of acting uh, as a profession. Though I honestly I was using uh I was using them before, you know, tap dancing in an elf suit all up and down uh the northeast and uh making my rent, which was very nice. But now now that I'm in the, the big city of Los Angeles and have a uh have an absolutely useless graduate degree, at least useless as far as the industry is concerned. Um uh, I am uh, maxim. I am uh, uh, building my player character with um, with a view towards uh, a career in the entertainment industry, and so I am maximizing uh, the trait of tenacity because I think more than anything else, certainly far more than talent, and more even than you know who you know or being born into uh, showbiz families or things like this. Uh, persistence is the uh, you know the single trait that. Um, people with uh successful careers in entertainment uh have seem to have in common um that that uh you know everyone is an overnight success after 10 years of of work so i'm going to um and i am not i am not super good at tenacity i was i was one of those like uh uh write the paper the night before it was due uh, kind of guys, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not a, uh, I was more of a sprinter than a marathoner. And so I, I want to, uh, to alter my player character to, um, you know, to increase its ability, uh, to, um, to, uh, be persistent. And the trait, uh, in exchange that I would like to minimize is my need for self-respect. <laughs> Uh, really? What, you, what happened to that? I mean, you had that? I've heard, you you got to have points to give them up, Matt. <laughs> Thank you I kid, very I much. Kid. With friends like Your these. French press says you have that in spades. Your fine French press and your very nice rugs you've always had in every place I've ever been of yours. Definitely. This is the, tri- this is the trouble, honestly. I mean, not to digress too much into the personal, too late, but um, this is the trouble with life as an actor. I got a, you know, I got a real job, an office job with a salary and whatnot out of... Um, uh, out of college, and I only uh, e- and even though in the nonprofit uh, sector I was living in a in a um, city where the cost of living wasn't that high, and my I you know I was right out of school I didn't have financial obligations and I knew where the paycheck was going to come from every month you know and so I I flew way too far too fast on quality of living and you know what I mean and like I you know like I it was such a uh, an anomaly 
among our group of friends, like when I was uh, after, after college, when I would have parties and have everyone else ne- like with like heat and serve hors d'oeuvres, you know, which at that time were like the pinnacle of hospitality uh, as, far- <laughs> <laughs> as far as we were concerned. And uh, I would just go to, to Costco and load up on like bacon wrapped scallops. And, you know, this was, um, I, you know, and I'm saying that it, it was a strategic error because now that I, you know, subsist on, uh, you know, the, the, I don't know, the remains of a can of hummus and uh, half an orange so I don't get scurvy. Um, yeah. the, now that I, I subsist on this kind of, of uh, fare, my, I, you know, I long, I long for my days of, of full-time employment. I got to say, Matt, you went, you, you wasted some time researching printing press when you should have just been going straight ahead for combustion to get the tanks. Right. <laughs> That's your mistake. Yeah. So are you, are you telling me that like Shia LaBeouf is really tenacious and like has a will of iron and can't be stopped? He's like a freight train. They're just like rolling through. He's like Optimus Prime. I, I was like, th- should we? What? I, I mean, I'm thinking of more the careers that I would like to emulate. Like, for example... <laughs> <laughs> take uh, take take Tilda Swinton for example. Who's uh, oh, yes. I, will. I, I always <laughs> take, yeah take take Tilda Swinton. Um, she's, overthinking she's, Tilda uh, overthinking Swinton. Muse Tilda Swinton, who you know lives with a younger man in her house while her uh, uh, ex husband takes care of the kids under the same roof. Um, the uh, you know the the careers that that I would like to emulate. That is to say, like sort of long, interesting careers where people have been able to do uh, a lot of great work over a long period of time. Um, always, always seem to involve tenacity. You know, um, right? Like for uh, you know, I you see Michael Caine, and he's been starring in movies forever and ever and ever. But before that, he was grinding it out in uh, you know regional theater in England. Right? Like. Um, yeah. That they, they all they all were grinding it out at at some point. To which I respond, but he was Michael Caine and grinding it out in English regional know. theater. Well, yeah, no, he wasn't Michael Caine then, though. Even I mean, you know, even though his name, his, <laughs> that his was, name was Michael Caine. That was more to say that Michael Caine is awesome and uh, you know has attributes of like, well, this is what he was born to do. And there was, uh, you almost look you look at them and you think that the effort that they put into that that tenacity did not come difficultly to them that is sort of that is to say that it came natural to them because maybe that was the only thing that they knew how to do that is to say michael the only thing that michael kane knows how to do is is be michael kane the awesome michael kane that we know like in the batman movies yeah i mean my favorite example of this that i read about was and i might have talked about on the podcast a few years ago was i read the star trek movie memoirs where william shatner talks about the difficult time between when the star trek television series ended and when the star trek movies started when he because of a very generous um alimony settlement that happened for him while he was still a TV star, uh, he was homeless and was traveling huh. to perform in regional theater productions living out of his truck. Uh, and, and he told a story about how he had this, like, he had this tent that, that kind of had, uh, I think it had, like, either a solar panel on it, and it, or it somehow was self-warming, and it was had, like, reflective material on it. And so he would, like, park his car, his truck, in, like, various driveways and, like, set up the tent after he got permission to go to sleep in the tent. And, like, one morning, right, like, some kid is out on his stoop and sees this like strange like metallic pyramidic object on his front lawn <laughs> and like the, the the door opens and captain kirk comes out of it he's like oh my god <laughs> this is when he's doing like the paper mill playhouse in new jersey and stuff like that yeah right you know like yeah exactly so you know denny crane can do it i mean of course that's tenacity right? that's right. like <laughs> this is somebody yes. who had already been of good stuff so. so right sleeping in the tent on on the bed of your truck yeah that that is uh that is tenacity there yeah it's <laughs> and you know you don't really see the you, you don't see actors from day to day you know what i mean you see them when they're in front of you so the so the lean times and and every career has lean times uh e- even the ones who 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 make enough money not to need to work like have those periods where they where they don't work and are sort of questioning why why they do it at all, you know. And it's very easy; it's always very easy in retrospect to say that, oh, you know, um, the hard times can't have been so hard. And they're you know they're never that hard in retrospect, but they're always they're always hard when you're when you're going through them. But this isn't just actors. I mean, it's any uh, 
it's any profession where you're not really an employee and you're sort of going from gig to gig. I mean, like general contractors, you know what I mean? May have like the same thing, yeah. right? Like where, you know, you don't necessarily know where the, the next paycheck is coming from and you're always trying to, um, you're always trying to what hustle the hustle the next gig, and this is something that like people that live from gig to gig, you know, uh, that the, that the square community doesn't understand. You know, you ask anyone with a, a, a normal job, though honestly, um, the way normal jobs are going, they're not that normal anymore. And I think people are expecting even people with with you know straight jobs in the square community are are sort of expect not expecting them to you know carry them for sixty years the way the the way that. Uh, that people used to um, any, I mean, I guess even that may have been sort of a uh, more wishful than, than actual, but uh, people who go from, uh, uh, oh, oh, people who have square jobs, you know, you ask them, Hey, when was the last time you went on a job interview? You know? And it's like, Oh man, I remember when I was looking for my jobs and I went on these job interviews and it was just the, the most awful thing. And there's this, like, there's this sense that the time that you're going on job interviews is a time of great personal trauma, you know, and like it just abasement and, um, you know, terrible blows to your self-esteem. And, uh, you, um, you ask anyone who goes from gig to gig, be they an actor or be they a general contractor or a freelance copywriter or, you know, what have you. Um, and uh, it's or, like- or an assassin, like a gun for hire. <laughs> right. Those are awkward interviews. It's like, what's your greatest flaw? And you'd be like, well, I'm sometimes not as clean. Like, I'm a little sloppy. <laughs> like, brain matter. I leave papers on my desk at home um, when I'm out shooting people. And they're like... Yeah, I can't have that. I'm sorry. We'll call you. I'm oh, sorry. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, my 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 point was that that your your hypothetical freelance assassin, um, uh, his whole life or her whole life is job interviews. You know that like you're, yeah. when you're when you're going from gig to gig, you're always interviewing the next gig, and you're always you know it's at least a ten to one ratio interviews to to gigs and so you're always it's like okay keep it. that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> actually actually online a- da- actually online dating is probably the the closest thing that the square community has to it right or i guess like if your business is like bidding for contracts or things like this Man, yeah, not, yeah. not to take us further on this aggression okay fine to take us further on this aggression when you say the square community um, that's a term I never heard before. Is that a commonly used phrase amongst the non-square, the freelancing, uh, freelancing assassin types that we're talking about? It's it's uh, it's from the Big Lebowski. Oh, oh. really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's something the dude says, right? Like, oh, you, know, you pin it on a patsy, someone the square community won't care a lot about. Wow, um, that that's a deep cut there. So I I uh, yeah, it's a it's like a yeah deep album uh, track from uh, from the Big Lebowski, and so I use it to describe anyone who has withholding from their paycheck. <laughs> which know. is very nice come tax day which of course just passed definitely yeah absolutely absolutely when you don't have to do what i do and file that big self-employment schedule you uh uh it's uh and your your employment is, your employer is kicking in half of those social taxes wow uh it does seem like a sweet gig i mean one irony that comes to mind is that if i were to pick, uh, say, some sort of fictional slogan that I would attribute to the people who were not in the square community and for whom any good time is but a temporary respite from another time of uncertainty, I would say uh, that winter is coming, in fact, <laughs> would be their words. And yet the starts are the squarest of all, are they not? Despite the fact that they never believed that their next meal is going to be happening the way that they thought it would, uh, just because of the, 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 the general sense of foreboding about the way that the vicissitudes of fate take us along our paths. Um, so in that sense maybe it's just an interesting thing to think about think about how squareness does lead to this like that there's sort of a complacency which is also sort of a decadence and and that there's a, a sort of um the people who have a particular lifestyle that seems a little bit faster and looser can actually be end up having to be more disciplined and more adapted to kind of like enforcing a consistency on their lifestyle, uh, potentially. I mean, or potentially they could just fly entirely off the rails, which is why I have a job in the square community because I don't have faith that I necessarily would be able to take care of myself if I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from sure. or I had an office to go to in the morning, right? Like the stability is very good for my life. That's on it. You know, honestly, like of the things. Of the things that freelancing and, you know, in addition to being a, a, uh, uh, an entertainer, 
um, because I, I, I won't go so far as to dignify uh, my, you know, pastimes tap dancing in an elf costume as acting, but um, the, uh, uh, you know, as an actor entertainer um, and, you know, I, other things I've done, freelance programming and things like this. The thing that I miss the most when it's not there is going, it's not the paycheck, it's not the withholding, it's going to the office every morning. You know what I mean? Yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, being, being uh Oh, what is that? Um, what is that thing that he says in, that Travis Bickle says in Taxi Driver? You should be a person among other people, or you should be a person like other people, or or with other people, right? Like being a being a person with other people, right? Is the thing is the thing that I uh is the thing that i suggest because when i i close the bedroom of uh, uh we have a two-bedroom apartment here right and when i close the bedroom that i sleep in and walk into the bedroom that i use as an office and open that door you know it's it's uh it can be pretty lonely like spending a lot of time uh i don't know freelance programming in that room right yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I think the offices are becoming lonelier, too. I think that the the more modular that the office worker becomes, even the office workers who have full-time employment, uh, the, a lot of the companies are moving in the direction of making those workers more modular. They can work from home more. They can work from different places. You have offices where, you know, you don't have a fixed desk and the desks get assigned by the day and, and, and just the places where people, move, you know, are, are much more transitionable and you don't have that kind of, like, transformational space where you can put your mask on and and be your work person right like you're you're always in that kind of solitary nebulous middle area um though right. sort of like a, a, a strange psychic warp zone of horrible demons <laughs> and monsters that come upon you and your space marine commando friends as you're trying to <laughs> soar through the skies and fight the evil uh gosh what i don't know chaos blood angels i guess the blood angels aren't chaos but chaos whatever. blood angels <laughs> one more thing about that was really fascinating about the Warhammer uh, lore, and then we can move on to something else, which was that um, they described the orcs, right? And the orcs are like the green monsters, right? And they're these fantasy creatures, but in the future, they have like, you know, many, many nations and, and, and identities and kind of fluid political arrangements across many, many planets. And jetpacks? Uh, and jetpacks, yes. Uh, but the, 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 whereas the other beings generally exist in this sort of like psychological dichotomy between the sort of orderly real world and the chaotic world of the psyche and spirit and emotion, the orcs have a gestalt, uh, which is referred to as wag, or spelled like A-A-G-H. Uh, might be pronounced war. I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's spelled W-A-A-A-G-H. And it is like a, a sort of sort of like young and collective subconscious. Uh-huh. Where where like uh, an, a single work, while they do not have an active psycho- psychological and spiritual life in the sense that they have no access to like this warp that's this sort of like, you know, spirit, that's more Jungian, that sort of Jungian spirit, uh, like subconscious world. They don't have that, but they do generate a certain amount of, coll- of energy that other orcs like resonate with that motivates orcs to kind of like organize into these like uh, these, these <laughs> movements, these small movements, these small bands of orcs that get together and suddenly they have sort of an intrinsic sense of which one is the strongest right and they sort of uh this energy that they have this gestalt that they have motivates them to go and like wreck something together as opposed to just wreck each other and the way that intergalactic orc wars start is like little orc wogs right like combine and become bigger ones and become bigger ones and the power of this is such and this is really interesting from a humanity standpoint that the orcs uh, that what the orcs believe uh, takes shape in reality if they believe it in common in like a big enough wog situation. Uh, one among these things is that if they paint their vehicles red, they go faster. If they paint their missiles yellow, they blow up with more force. And this is like in the game mechanics uh, that like that the orcs can use these ramshackle technologies and they work for the orcs in ways they don't work for anybody else because the orcs have this psychic gestalt that motivates them and this tenacity to go forward. Uh, it's similarly they're the only beings in, in the world who aren't afraid of death or whatever because they like they don't function that way they don't have that kind of psychological life so there's clearly some sort of aspirational uh, liberating kind of social thing in there that's kind of cool um, so I, feel anyway. like, I feel like there's a whole subgenre of, of business management books that are going to be written about the wog principle the art of wog I'm sure <laughs> they have they need to get on that nonsense <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so we had two topics, right? <laughs> oh, you want to you want to bring us to that now that we're halfway through the podcast? I was going to tell a story about my mother, but we can go we can go into the podcast. That's for sure. Okay, okay, okay. So we had two topics, and I'm going to present them to everybody because I don't feel like I'm 
than just one or the other. And they're related, right? <laughs> Clearly, yes. Speaking, speaking of things that make you shout, Warg! Right, is uh, is horror, right? And and they are related to the fact that none of us saw The Cabin in the Woods, which was a big movie this weekend, but, but our friend Belinky did see it. And our colleague Belinky saw this movie. Uh, and the reason that he's not around as much as he's planning for a big event in his life, and yes. I'm not going to talk too much about his own life, but let's just sort of like – be hypothetical about big events and say that, like, okay, we could talk about either horror movies and the fact that Mark, Matt, and I don't like to watch horror movies, and we could talk about that, um, or we could talk about weddings <laughs> and the horror of weddings <laughs> and uh, why Mark, Matt, and I haven't done that either. <laughs> I, I, the only I've done a, hey, I, I don't get withholding, you know what I mean? Like, I've, I, you know, I've done it purely for tax reasons, not um... – yeah. <laughs> I'm single. For ta- I'm single for tax reasons. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So they have a banned heterosexual marriage in Hollywood. Like they haven't uh, gone that all that far in the opposite direction. Uh, it's not we like live I- in Massachusetts. I mean, you know what I mean. We have like a we have a we have a proposition denying marriage equality. Right. Like uh, you you it's it's easy to overestimate how far politically to the left California is because. Oh, same. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, California is these these hugely, I mean, very densely populated, uh, you know, um, what little oases of blue surrounded by a vast landscape of of red. Yeah, same here too. Definitely, because I mean, there's there's you could see it town by town, right? In all the primaries, who wins in what primary, stuff like that. Excuse me, and. Um, Oh, yeah. It's definitely like – definitely people kind of – there isn't like a homogenous blending of, of individuals into this sort of partnership that might last for a long time and result in kind of mutual love and respect. There is, in fact, fragmentation, uh, which is steering me towards the direction of the wedding topic yeah. and away from her topic. Oh, so uh, let's talk about what we were doing in the, in the pre-roll about the, uh, the min-maxing when it comes to a wedding. Right. Okay, Cool, cool. Well, so yeah, because this is this is actually how min maxing came up and how it became the uh, the thing. <laughs> and I, you know, I will take the the uh, the mantle of the asshole uh, uh, totally onto myself. Um, pepper, chili pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, which is this I I guess I mean not having been married I've been to some some great weddings the weddings of my friends which have been wonderful affairs uh, really great parties and really affairs at their weddings that is inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) really really what really touching uh, events you know Um, I I've done, uh, I, you know, and moving ceremonies and, and you know, wonderful, uh, high marks all across the board. But I was a, um, I was an event planner in one of my many gigs in, in my checkered career. And uh, in that capacity, I, you know, did big events and dinners for hundreds of people with transportation and, uh, you know, some kind of ceremony or like uh, oftentimes a lecture or something like component and then a dinner off site with entertainment and the thing like this. And, you know, and I did this dozens of times a year. Uh, and so I guess I, I, I kind of don't understand the big deal, you know, that is, <laughs> like, what, why is this, why is this so hard and so, so all consuming? Like, you know, like, uh, I, I, I've planned a lot of parties professionally and like, uh, it's what, once you get used to it, it's not that hard. I guess it's impossible to get used to having weddings unless you're, uh, you know, Elizabeth Larry Taylor. King. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there right. you, go. Like it, it, <laughs> you don't, um, you don't have the opportunity to, I mean, you date a lot of people, you marry what three and it's, you know, you don't ever, <laughs> you don't ever get, get a chance to get used to it. Um, so, so maybe that's, that's why, because it's kind of this bespoke situation, uh, in your life. Maybe it's because a lot of your identity is tied up into it. And like, whereas like, um, for dinner, if we were going to dinner, we could just pick a place that was nearby and was good enough. But for your wedding, the dinner you choose is like an expression of your future as a couple or something like that. And I can understand how operating uh, under that kind of pressure uh, might be difficult. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, you, uh, call me insensitive. Call me hopelessly naive. Tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I don't get why uh, it, it has to be such a big deal. So can I try to start with I'll, I'll put something out there and just go from there. This is not a radical concept either. Is it that uh, we're all dudes? I, 
Um, <laughs> potentially part. No, it's okay. So here's what it is. It's that weddings in our society are the ultimate, the the pinnacle, the uh, the the most powerful expression of social signification that we have, right? And you know, uh, we can say to ourselves in in situations like this, like, "What's the big deal with weddings?" But I think uh, what what I've started to gather is that as people are put into the situation of you know of, of having to put on the wedding themselves, they face up to the realization that um, this is their time to socially signify to everybody in a way that uh, they've never been able to before. And uh, they just, they they feel trapped in it. I don't know if feel trapped is the right word, but they feel the pressing obligation, the weight of society's pressure to signify um, because if they don't do it then, then when are they going to do it? And this is an interesting thing to bring up. This is, is uh, for the, I will say as a side note that there is a great uh, Onion News Network piece uh, entitled "Man and Woman Get Drunk and Blow Thirty Thousand Dollars in One Night." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> um, but I will say that is an interesting thing to, to say. To say that this is about signification. That is to say, I'm signaling to others what I am about, what I value, uh, yeah. how I see myself amongst my peers. But even if you step back from it as a an act of sort of social, like a mating ritual, kind of like I'm going to signal them the way that a bird would use a red tail to signify a certain thing, look at it kind of semiotically as a signification, and it, it raises the the uh, possibility that weddings become more important as and more kind of like uh, people invest more in weddings, they double down more on weddings, the more that other kinds of signification in society run into functional problems. Um, so, so if you think about, uh, think about um, a wedding, like think about kind of like a, a different sort of ideals of, kind of fictional ideals of weddings, right? And there were, or they, I'm sure they existed at some point. But you have a wedding where like both families show up, right? Like both extended families show up to the wedding and like the groomsmen all have swords or guns and the bridesmaids are all like guarding the, the, the woman's chastity and all this like all the pomp that the wedding is derived from, right, is there. Like all these different traditions and such are playing their active role in communicating what they're supposed to communicate. Like one by one the various uh, underpinning um, signifier-signified relationships in the wedding, and of course it is signifiers all the way down, and and that's kind of the issue in the modern age, right? Uh, But all these different things that the things in the wedding are supposed to symbolize uh, are gradually like dropping out of that relationship, right? All of a sudden it isn't really so clear why you need to have bridesmaids or or why you want to have groomsmen or like why you have the thing with the garter or the bouquet, like like why you have... um, and, And so these traditions that we have, uh, you know, the signifiers drop out, and I think that, that people sense a loss there, and they, they, think, they feel an anxiety that's associated with that loss, and I think that they try to make up for it by kind of doubling down. Sort of like if you're an actor, like Matt, I'm sure you've experienced actors like this, and you don't know how to interpret the emotional life of your character in a very difficult moment, you might just talk louder or more slowly. Sure. Right? Uh, you know, like... like uh, the line uh, must be drawn here! <laughs> no, the scene is not that bad. But, uh, <laughs> no, actually, yeah, that's not a... Yeah, that's not. I mean, that's that's a that's a good example of a scene where someone talks loud. Uh, what is it? Is another. What is another good example of like a scene from a popular film where somebody just talks really loudly and really slowly? Well, there's a great I, there's a great line from The West Wing when Martin Sheen says, "When you when you have the law on your side, you argue the law, and when you have the facts on your side, you argue the facts, and when you have don't when you don't have the law or the facts on your side, you bang your fist on the podium and talk as loud as you can." <laughs> Get off my place. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. I am tired of these mother flipping snakes on this mother flipping plane. And I think that, that that's that's really what the modern wedding has become for the people. Snakes in a plane exercise. Where it's like people in a hotel ballroom. You know, like uh and of course I love weddings. And there are certain weddings that I've been to that have had a great deal of signification and importance, but I can't help but shake the idea that that afternoon or weeks that were spent picking the invitations did not necessarily add that much, right? Like as a sort of min-maxing proposition, right? Like you shouldn't – like the value that's provided by investing time and money into like really nice invitations could be better invested into like your peace of mind in the year leading up to the wedding, right? Or to like, you know, seeing Breaking Bad. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like, you know. 
And it's like the less Breaking Bad that you have the time to watch, the greater the marginal utility of the time spent watching Breaking Bad. Right. And like the the more important the event is, like I think the less the marginal utility of like having really fancy invitations, right? Because people are going to want to go anyway. I guess you have to cross a certain barrier with wedding invitations so people know not to throw them out and they don't look like you know it doesn't just say Phoenix, Arizona, and like the return address with like no information and you're why, pretty convinced. Why to- not email? Why not an evite? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> real evites kind. Of, I, yeah, I, 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 sorry, I hate evites, and I hate the way that it keeps emailing you about the damn invitation you're trying to ignore. But like, um, you know, right? Like, uh, why not a, a very nice HTML email? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I think it's important for people to know that it's something that they need to respond to. Right, like it's because there's so much stuff we get invited to that doesn't matter. Sure, like it couldn't be a Facebook invite because you get like a bunch of. I mean, I don't get those anymore because no nobody sends Facebook invites to people who aren't on Facebook. Um, but yeah, that's a good question, and, and I think I, I don't know. What do you guys think about this idea that like uh, that a lot that the people people focus so much time and energy on every part of a wedding because it maybe it's because it isn't necessarily clear which parts of the wedding actually matter the most. Right. Uh, and this idea that you have to focus on the whole thing, right? Because it's not like, well, I have a really awesome speaker. Like the person who's performing the wedding is awesome. Like Jordan and Tomomi had this really awesome person perform their wedding. Right. Yeah. They're, uh, was, they're, they're officiant. I mean, their officiant was like notable, not just for profundity, but also for kind of sensitivity and charisma. Yeah, exactly. They, they must have maxed out some of those stats when he was rolling his character back right. in the day. <laughs> but uh, um, by the way... It was so, me. <laughs> anyway, it was Pete. Um, the calls come from inside the house. So, so put it in, in maxing terms. Well, it sounds like there's two types of uh, you. If you approach a wedding, you can either do it in a min-max way, which is say an unbalanced way, or you can approach it in a more balanced, sort of uh, reasonable, rational way, right? So, there's when, but when you're doing the min-maxing approach, there's two ways to do it. One is that you max on the wedding at expense at minning everything else in your life. Right, including peace of mind and money. Right, right, and then also when it comes to the one within the parameters of the wedding itself, you can max on certain things like uh, efficient, band, yep. food, and then you can min on other things. But people don't tend to do that, though, right? Right, right, right. They don't like to make those trade offs. Um, and of course, because they don't like to make the trade-offs, the price of everything goes up. So people actually have a pretty strong incentive to make those trade-offs because if they made the trade-offs more often, then the vendors would have to charge less and then they would get more options. You'd hit an equilibrium probably at a lower price point for a lot of things if people were willing to be like, ah, you know what? We're not going to have a cake off pie. Everyone likes pie, <laughs> right? Like it's, we'll just, we'll bake a pie um, or we'll have a tiramisu. So you're saying, so you're saying that people don't do that. They they no, min, they max on the wedding and they min on the other parts of their lives. There's no min maxing within the wedding. Yeah, I mean the economic way of saying it would be that the demand for wedding services is very inelastic, mm-hmm. and which means that it doesn't change relative to the price very much, right? The people are going to want to buy just as many weddings, whether they are like a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars, right, or twenty thousand dollars, or thirty thousand dollars, even if they don't have that money. Like the 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 normally in the course of an elastic demand for a good, the more the good costs, like the less likely people are to buy it, right? And the demand for it is not. You know, cannot tolerate this sort of thing. If if the supply demand balances in such a way that like they're more expensive, then fewer of them will be purchased. Whereas like in the big example for in an inelastic good is like insulin for diabetes, right? Which is like, you have to buy the insulin. You don't can't just be like oh, I don't know, it's too rich for my blood. Zing! Uh-huh. Oh, diabetes. Uh-huh. Joke. That's first. that's a diabetes joke on the Overthinking a Podcast. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a first. I'll give you a prize if you if you find the first diabetes joke on the Overthinking a Podcast, right. and it's not. Not this one. Um, to keep it to be fair, I have I take diabetes very seriously. I myself have a blood disorder. It's serious business. And uh, take care of yourselves out there. Be careful. Manage your blood sugar responsibly and have your pet spayed and neutered. Um, I'm not sure what else to add to that whole situation. Um, but no, but I think that people treat the demand for weddings as inelastic. And because of this, I think that there's sort of like an unspoken collusion among wedding vendors to raise prices because they know that they can charge more for the same thing for a wedding uh, than, than for other events. Like, Matt, if you were to run one of your events that you're talking about as a wedding, like it would probably cost twice as much at least Sure, uh, just to do this thing. Yeah, which is silly, and and people do try to lie. Like I think that that does happen more often these days. Um, 
where people try to trick the vendors into thinking they're not getting married. And I've heard stories of like brides being let out of the limo like several blocks away from the church because the limo driver wasn't told that it was a wedding and uh, the limo driver wasn't willing to do it for the money that they'd agreed to previously because it was a wedding and because they assume that there's that inelastic demand. Um, uh-huh. Which, Yeah, yeah, which is rough. And I mean, of course, we used to have this much, much more than we do now for diamonds – Right, because De Beers created and invented the engagement ring and like promoted that and like did all that whole thing, such that like then they had a monopoly over the diamond market for the most part. So like they could charge as much as they wanted, and the price of jewels was like way crazy. Whereas now, like the price of diamonds has gone down significantly, uh, I believe, because of a lot of the different vendors and De Beers market share is way down uh, because. People do eventually come out from around the edges of these kinds of markets and break them up. Uh, but the availability of credit is a big deal, right? Like, oh, you could borrow the money for your wedding if you don't have it. Uh, so we had that kind of like wedding boom commensurate with the housing boom and, the, and all the other nonsense and the credit bubble. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't but, know. Should but, we but the, so, so wedding, I mean, one of the, uh, among the things that you're saying, like, oh, we, we have this much more stock in weddings because we don't have cotillions. Um, I guess, yeah, I think that might be it. Well, that would be another thing is that a lot of our other social uh, uh, rituals that we don't invest as much in them. Yeah, that was. The it. I mean, you sort of you went on from there, but that was it. that was your first point, right? That like there aren't other as as other signs of social maybe less status, but um, uh, signification, social signification, kind of wane. What weddings seem to gain all all that much more importance. I mean, yeah, I mean, to rephrase, uh, to reuse something that was said earlier in this podcast, the line must be drawn here, this far, no farther, right? Like, you can take away my, uh, you know, my quinceanera or whatever, or my confirmation, right? Or like, my, my bar bat mitzvah can become a shadow of the kind of thing that it might have been in the days of old, right? You can take away, my uh, super you know, the sweet gold- 16. Yeah, yeah, you can take away the gold watch at retirement, right? Like you can take away, um, you know, the the Sunday family dinner. You know, like you could take away, you know, all these different rituals. You could you could take away, you know, church and the, on the uh, you could take away, uh, you know, like tailgating. Like you could take away anything that you could do. <laughs> I mean, that is that that has ritual that feels important, and more importantly, that stands for something. And you can sort of watch as the culture mill churns up these symbols and deconstructs them and spits them back out at us in ways that don't really don't recognize don't feel meaningful right like you can take away all those things but you're not going to take away my weddings and as a wise man said earlier in this very podcast the line must be drawn here this far no, no far. Further. Why do we give Why do we give Patrick Stewart a lisp when we're doing his character? You know, it's not like he's Sean Connery or something like that. I like to I confuse him with Sean Connery a lot. Well, I think I'm, it's because of the role that he played as King Richard in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Right. That Sean Connery played in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, uh-huh. and I could so I conflate the two of them. But I guess he doesn't lisp at all. He's is he more like this? Uh, it's, yes, yeah, it's tough Mr. to do the Mister Data. I feel like we need a disclaimer. We need, number one, uh, we need a disclaimer on this podcast. I mean, you know, you have three dudes who are who are non married. You know what I mean? And yeah. you know, so you know, we're we're not trying to cast aspersions on anybody's nice party. Oh no, 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 no! I mean, we're kind of mystified. About yeah, we're scared. Just, we're trying to figure out how it works. I love weddings. I love going to weddings. I love to have a wedding that's a lot of fun and does a lot of stuff, but it just seems so miserable to spend so much on it, and it makes me sad to think that my friends go through that for something that I I feel like I see how unhappy, um, and I'm not talking about anybody specific, especially not Blinky, because I don't think this is true about him personally, but um, but I see how unhappy planning for weddings can make people and sure. how kind of grim it can make them for like such a long time, and like I'm going to the wedding because I want them to be happy. Right, like it's sort of like I was reminded of when I was in in, uh, in health class. Right, we were discussing family systems theory in high school health class, and uh, and people and the health teacher is like, your parents believe that they are going to be sacrificing everything in their lives for you, and how many people around the room would be willing to put up with like a little bit less of what they get from their parents if only their parents were a bit happier, right? And like everybody's hand went up. Right and like it's like we we want we don't want yeah, dad to quit. Be, no, who's gonna be who's gonna be the, the jerk kid who doesn't put their hands at? No, you know I want them I, I want them to suffer more. I want that pony, you know. Like <laughs> no, that's yes. that's just a loaded uh, you know that's a loaded question. You're not gonna get honest answers out of that question. I think. 
I still think there's an underlying truth to it, though. You know, I do think that yeah, there's yeah, a, sure, a sure, sense sure. of like you, you know, there is a certain generosity of the spirit that I think is mutually is as a mutual interest. Like you want your friends to feel happy because then it validates your thought that they ought to be happy, and that makes you feel better. I guess I don't know. It's like maybe you would. No, you yeah. Would will I mean, them. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be. It's, I'm raising a. I'm sh- you know I'm pooping on your point when uh, yeah uh, you know when uh, with a procedural issue when when the the. You know, I don't know, the substantive content of your point is is quite valid indeed, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Everyone would be, you know, if their parents could have it just a touch easier, everyone would be willing to to uh, have just a touch less. Now, I, th- there's a line, I mean, the line must be drawn here, you know, like, there, there is a line. <laughs> w- would, I, uh, would I have been willing to, to share a room with my brother? Uh, probably not. We fought a lot, you know what I mean? It would have been, it would have been a lot of violence, probably injury for both of us. Um, Right, like I'm sure that that line is uh, is different. For I mean, maybe hey, there are maybe there are brothers who grew up and never uh, never fight a day in their lives and would love to share a room, you know. Um, yeah, but uh, the uh, you know maybe there are brothers who just wish they had rooms at all, and you should be grateful for what you have, you you ungrateful son of a. Uh, but the. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we'd all be willing to give up a little, I think, provided that the little is not really defined, provided that it's this sort of amorphous little that we imagine wouldn't affect our lives all that much. True. I mean, the thing about the orcs and their wog that, of course, is like the wishful thinking is the idea that they all go willingly to their own slaughter, right? And they don't mind. Like, they're, they have this joy that they share, this gestalt that they share with the other orcs and their wog, and they're willing to make all these sacrifices for it. But there's a certain obliviousness there to, like, the actual cost of their actions, right? So it's very easy to be like, oh, yeah, I would be the soldier on the front lines. Like, I would be the one, you know, who would be on top of my little, you know, biker buggy thing, you know, fighting the giant plastic titan thing that's all hand-painted i'd be willing to do that uh except then when you actually have to share a room with your brother and you're like oops actually i my the things that i'm willing to sacrifice are fairly specific and this is not one of them yeah so you also want to appreciate all the trouble they go to to make you happy in these sort of weird social situations and intricate social situations and not but not be like oh like why are you going to all this trouble well, i'm doing it for you so that you have a fun time at my wedding because right, people wait, well, right, yeah, yeah yeah exactly i'm doing that's that's exactly it like who wouldn't be happy to to go to their friend's wedding and have it be a little less fancy or a little less involved in some respect, you know? Uh, so's, uh, so's your friend could be a little happier, you know, in the year leading up to it, right? Like, who, who right, wouldn't right, be willing right. to... to to make that to make that trade off, and it's this weird thing that we do, where we kind of get these ideas about each other, and they're about ourselves, and they're you know they're about like our ideas of our expectations of others, um, uh, you know. And this is not actually just in weddings; this is like applicable to a lot of things. You know, we do a lot of stuff because we imagine people want us to do it that way, right? And like. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow, the Overthinking Podcast. You're your uh you know, your number one self help podcast on the internet, right? Like um, we do, we do That's why that. I keep throwing in Warhammer quotes just to keep it on mission. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if not yet wow. for you, we would have gone like Dr. Phil a long time ago. Um Here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> but the Sorry. I mean the, uh, the Blood for the Blood Throne. The, over- Sorry, the, the overthinking it part of this is that y- y- it's it's very difficult to kind of stop and really interrogate what your assumptions are um, uh, at, at any point when you're doing something with a high degree of social importance, right? Like to, to really be very rigorous with yourself about what um, – what you're trying to do and why really you're you're trying to do it, you know. And uh, if if I am killing myself to 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 plan a big party, like what is what is the good that I what exactly is what exactly like in very concrete terms is the good that I imagine that I'm serving uh, by yeah. by doing that, you know. Yeah. Is it the emperor? Is it like the <laughs> is it the laughing god of the Eldar? It's it's tough to say. No, no, it is. I think that is good. And I think that uh it definitely speaks to the whole idea of min-maxing, right? Like what is your objective? Like you you know, you can max out your strength and end up playing a bard and then you feel ridiculous, right? So what are you trying to accomplish? Goals. No, without a goal, all this is just money, you know, money down the toilet, right? So you got to have something that you're hoping to actually do. I think. I hope. 
other I don't know. than I mean, other than just like wind up hitched, because that can be done at the you know at the the county clerk, right? Yeah, and the I mean, there's we have a number of friends who've done that first, right? Like you get hitched. It's such a huge pain to have the the actual wedding takes so much time, and there's so many logistical issues that you end up getting married before the wedding. And isn't just that, to I get mean, it out of the way, right? Isn't that funny? The the sort of quasi religious part of the wedding. I mean, I, I say quasi religious because it could be any religion, uh, or it could mm-hmm. be civil. But like that 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 part that used to to hold a lot of weight is kind of like that gets dispensed with with a couple signatures, you know, at the rehearsal dinner or something like that, right? And yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You know, and and the part that that is actually the wedding is is more the the uh, the big party part. The emphasis being on a you know on a big gathering a big gathering of friends. And I think you know and I think the most the, the most I I don't want to say successful, but but the most sort of what straightforward successful on their own terms is what I mean. Uh, weddings that I've been to are are the ones where. Um, it was very upfront about, you know, this is kind of a gathering of the tribe around the, you know, around this new union. Yeah. Uh, and, yep. and in, you know, in doing that, they managed to sort of forge some kind of, uh, to sort of forge in the smithy of their soul, as James Joyce wrote in Portrait of the Artist, um, some kind of new, uh, you know, some kind of new practice or some kind of uh, ad, uh, practice ad hoc to a particular need of this particular couple, uh getting together i mean maybe you know you have to this is just a paraphrase of what's been said already but you have to spend a lot of money um to make everything right when uh when when the social uh, the social value of everything is unclear you know i yeah. mean that's what we've been I mean, saying what, yeah what i said when i performed jordan and tomomi's wedding uh-huh. was i think one of the points was something along the lines of you know, if this were just about these two people, then we wouldn't have to have this big hullabaloo. And it's not about these two people. These all of the people around the couple affect the couple, are part of the couple's lives, and are also integral to the success of the couple, right? As a as a social unit and as as kind of like a, a perpetuating force. All these other things, like the people around you, are part of what makes the 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 sort of unit syntactical unit of the marriage, like what the marriage means, right? Is influenced by all these people around you. So an effective wedding is a wedding that kind of brings to bear that social organization and and sort of sense of social meaning around the couple, right? Not just one that kind of venerates the couple as if it's some sort of like, you know, MGM soundstage golden god who like is like uh, with, you know, Elizabeth Taylor rolling in on the on the litter, right? Like uh coming in <laughs> oh, she sat in like a burnished throne burned on the water. MFA, ladies and gentlemen, master of fine arts. <laughs> Look at those shoes. How did she do it? <laughs> you know, like that sort of thing. This is not about turning a bridal party into demigods, right? It's, a, it's about <laughs> turning, a, turning a hodgepodge of family and friends into a support network, I suppose. Right. Well, that's I, also I, kind of a clinical way of saying it. I suppose it's all, it's all the more important when our hodgepodge of family and friends is, you, you know, uh, as... To, uh, sort of dispersed to the winds as they tend to be these days with the kind of high level of mobility within the country and the world that we seem to have and the kind of breakdown of traditional family structures and their replacement by these yeah. sort of non-traditional family structures. The, as we've said, like the, 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 the rounding of the squares, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my favorite non-traditional family structure is the overthinking at podcast. And if you would like to come to a giant family reunion, uh, we're having one next week. Actually, uh, overthinking it is participating in uh, Geek Week, Boston. Uh, at the Improv Boston Theater in Cambridge uh, on Saturday, April 28th. And I think our slot is uh, 10 p.m. Yes, 10 p.m. At the main stage. On the main stage. Yep. The, the stage of Maine. At the, <laughs> sorry, stage that is Maine. The stage that is Maine. Uh, State and Maine is a great movie written by David Mamet and um, that has William H. Macy and Alec Baldwin in it and uh, has nothing to do with the overthinking of podcasts. Uh, yes, Geek Week. So if you, want to, if you like what we do uh, and you want to see us live and you're in the Boston area or can get there on Saturday, April 28th, 2012 uh, at 10 p.m. at the Improv Boston Theater in Cambridge, uh, we will be there doing uh, overthinking it live. And we're going also to... Um, uh, 
we, we are going to have a podcast recording, an in-person podcast recording while we're there in Boston. And if it is a live podcast recording, if we manage to find a space where we can do it in front of an audience, I think we're going to try to do that. Um, so uh, follow the Twitter at overthinking at twitter.com slash overthinking it for more information about, uh, about that. Um, yes, uh, that's Geek Week. And I will put a link to the relevant uh, buy tickets page in the show notes uh, on the website. That's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, Pete, you're going to be there, yeah? Oh, yeah, totally. I live here. <laughs> so I'm going to be <laughs> and, there. And, Mark, you're, I, and you're, also, I, the show that I'm directing that Sheely is in is up in Boston on Wednesday and Thursday of Geek Week. So if you go to see Achievement Unlocked, Massively Multiplayer Improv, that's Wednesday at 9 p.m. on Geek Week and Thursday at 7.30 p.m. in Geek Week. And we're in the studio space. We're not on the main stage. But you can come see. We performed at Boston Comic Con today to a packed house. It was a great time. We had, a, we had someone from the audience who was a, a scout from Team Fortress 2 come up and give, give us some uh, – give us some help with one of the games it was pretty funny <laughs> i really enjoyed it definitely that's wonderful <laughs> yep. i had a long discussion with a member of the audience who i think was probably on the autism scale or the autism spectrum as like we asked for a suggestion from the audience and she raised her hand and then when the suggestion was taken she kept her hand up and she's like i have an idea and i was like okay and we worked through it we talked about her idea in front of everybody and we agreed that we would try to implement it later in the show <laughs> So yeah, there uh, you you're go. a lot more uh, you're uh, you're a lot more tolerant of that kind of thing than I am, and that we will be at the Overthinking It Live. No, <laughs> we, we welcome the audience participation at the Overthinking It Live show, uh, which will include, I think, a PowerPoint presentation, I think a uh, uh, an original creative work, and also um, a, a, the return of thesis offense, where mm-hmm. uh, the overthinkers defend a, a proposition uh, chosen by the audience. Uh, to um, from a from a variety of critical critical perspectives, also chosen by the audience, uh, uh, just as a hat tip to the improv uh, nature of the of the show. There will be live music. I will have to tell you now, though, that it's not going to be Warhammer forty thousand uh, themed heavy metal. I'm sorry. So I don't, oh! I don't know why not. That I mean, let's go for a skull throne. I want have, vengeance. We have a we have a week. <laughs> Uh, if you want to talk to us about the podcast, we can. Um, you can email podcastoverthinkingit.com or you can call 203-285-6401. I have some uh, some listener feedback, by the way, but I'm going to save it for next time because we went a little uh, went a little longer than we were expecting talking about the wedding industrial complex. And uh, we would love it if you uh, uh, would rate the show on iTunes. Um, go to the show's page in iTunes and give it a number of stars. And if that number was five, would it really kill you? You don't have to leave a, uh, a comment, though we love to hear what you think and we, uh, we read those. But um, rating it will surface us in the rankings and help people, uh, help people discover the show because we're trying to get a little organized about, um, about uh, uh, you know, publicizing what we do because we've been doing the show for, for more than three years. It's, it's, uh, it's high time that all, all your friends knew how cool you are for uh, liking us before we hit it big. Um, so, you know, if you do podcast marketing, uh, right, as your square job, or even as your, you know, gig to gig, living by the skin of your teeth in a tent on the back of your flatbed truck uh, job, um, give us a call at podcast uh, at overthinkingit.com. Uh, join the show notes on um, Join the show notes on uh, the uh, sorry. Join the comments, the discussion in the comments on the show notes for this blog. I was distracted by a thought, which is that uh, next week's show uh, is going to be the two hundredth. A uh, regular ooh. episode of the Overthinking Podcast. We'll be recording it uh, in person with each other and possibly live in front of an audience. And we will see you then. Until then, you can meet us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't Guys, we missed a very obvious John Luke Picard quote to this when we're talking about weddings. Oh yeah? Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. I mean, really? Come on. Is it a silent Shut- R in WOG? I'm not sure. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there. It's not spelled. It's not spelled. Definitely um, not. Like, just like Jean-Luc Picard, you don't pronounce the R. <laughs>